Well, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. Uh, Grab your Bibles, open them up. Judges 14 is where we are this week, making our way through the book of Judges. And and we're actually looking at the last uh, main judge uh, in this book today, Samson. It's going to take us a few weeks to get through uh, Samson. There's more written about Samson than any of the other uh, judges in the book because, in a way, Samson is both a summation and a microcosm of the entire nation of Israel and how she relates to God. It's summed up in this one man. Samson is born uh, of God. It's a miracle birth. He's born of God to a barren woman. Israel is born of God by a barren woman. Abraham and Sarah, remember? Samson lusts after foreign women. Israel lusts after foreign gods. God has given Samson a calling to be holy, which just means to tell the truth about God in the world to the world. Israel has been given a calling by God to be holy, to tell the truth about God to the the world. Samson's been uh, given a code to live by. Do not touch dead things. Don't drink alcoholic drinks and don't cut his hair. Israel's been given a code to live by. It's called the law. Anyone reading these final stories would see clearly that Samson represents Israel. And if we look closely, us as well. We're going to see a lot of things about ourselves that we can relate to Samson about as we look at his life. And so with that being said, please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Samson's marriage. Samson went down to Timnah, And at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go take a wife from uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring, Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hands, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion, and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there for the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him, And Samson said to them, Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast, and I find find it out, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 
30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me, you do not love me, you have put a riddle to my people and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, behold, I have not told my father nor my mother, shall I tell you? She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted and on the seventh day he told her because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town, took their spoil and gave garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. This is the word of the Lord. Eternal God, we love you. Thank you for your word that never fails. You say, Jesus, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. So thank you for giving us such strong, durable things to build our life on. And now we pray, God, that you would reveal the idols of our heart that we love, that you remove those idols from our heart in your mercy, and you would replace them with a desire for the Lord. Do that now. Remove all distractions as we listen to you. As our thoughts wander, bring us back. Bring us back to listening to you. Your words are good. They're sweeter than honey. Amen. Amen. During the golden age of television, most shows contained, <clears throat> most shows contained heroes that uh, audiences were supposed to uh, look up to, if not as- aspire to become. You know, Lone Ranger, anyone? Right? Lone Ranger, Father Knows Best, uh, Bonanza, My Three Sons. The, the heroes in these shows, they always did what was right. They always knew what to do, and they did what was right. Uh, they always followed the law. They sacrificed themselves for the good of others. They handed out sage advice. And most importantly, they got the bad guys off the Ponderosa. Right? Now, We go forward in time a little bit to the second half of the 20th century, and the anti-hero takes over in television world. People didn't want heroes to look up to anymore. We'd become disillusioned with all of our heroes. We wanted realism, not idealism, to aspire to. So you get shows like Cheers, uh, Roseanne, The Simpsons, Married with Children. Anyone remember that show? 
We wanted people that had faults. We wanted people that made poor choices. They didn't really know much, kind of just goofs going through life, or that they had failed in some way. And why? Because that's who we are. We're that kind of person, and we wanted to see people on the screen that we could relate to. It's hard to relate to Charles Ingalls, who always does what's right. I mean, he can't be that kind of dad, right? So we're going to be Al Bundy instead. And even today, even today, these are, the, these are the people that we hold up as heroes in real life. Celebrities, politicians, authors, athletes, those who are brave enough to be, quote, authentically themselves. I want to make a clarification. There is nothing wrong with being authentic. That's a really good thing to be. Nobody trusts a hypocrite, right? Nobody respects and wants to follow a hypocrite, someone who's one presents themselves as one way here, but really lives a different way, okay? We all want to be known, and we all want to be loved for who we really are, day in and day out, warts and all. So that's a good thing, okay? But what we're seeing today is the elevation of being authentic to the ultimate level, Being, quote, authentically myself has become more valuable than being virtuous. In fact, today you could say that being authentically myself is the highest virtue of them all. There is none higher. I mean, that's the message of songs and movies and best-selling books today, if if you read these. You'll find true salvation when you and only you Define who, define who you are as an individual. I mean, that's, what it, that's what I mean when I use that phrase, authentic self. You and only you define who you are and how you're going to live in this world. And what we find in the story that we just read is that Samson, and by extension, all of Israel, all of God's people, has completely rejected his calling from God to be holy. Samson wants to define who he is. Samson wants to define how he's going to live his life. And we're much the same way, aren't we? If we're honest, if we're being authentic, we're much the same way. I mean, isn't it true, guys, that we chafe under the idea that God has an authoritative say in who we are and how we're going to live life? Don't we just kind of bristle at that a little bit, even as believers? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're all drawn, every single one of us in this room, we are all drawn and attracted to the notion that we get to construct our own identity and our own destiny, that I am who I say I am. But what we find in this passage is that the quest for the so-called authentic self is really a journey to self-destruction. It doesn't give what it promises. Samson confronts you and I with this fact that we all, all of us, We all exchange God's calling to be holy for the calling to be our authentic self. And only the gospel can return us to our true calling. Today I want to talk about three ways that we exchange God's calling for our own calling in life. Three ways. And the first is this. We exchange God's calling when we ignore spiritual authority instead of listening. When we ignore spiritual authority instead of listening, let's go right to the text, verse one. Samson went down to Timnah 
And at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother. That phrase gets repeated a lot, father and mother in this passage. Did you notice? And he comes up and he tells his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now, get her for me as a wife. <clears throat> but his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman from among the daughters of your relatives? Or among all our people that you must go and take the wife of an uncircumcised, the uncircumcised Philistine? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Samson has been called by God to be holy, okay? To tell the truth about God in the world by how he lives his life. That's what being holy is, telling the truth about God and how you live your life. He's also called to deliver the Israelites from the rule of the Philistines before he was ever born. He didn't even get a say in this. Before he was ever born, God shared this calling for Samson with his mother. Look at, we didn't read this part, but Judges 13.5. Let's check it out now. So God's telling his mom, no razor shall come upon his head. So he's gonna have long hair. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So, but, but here's the deal. Samson doesn't want any part of God's calling. From birth, we see that he's been set apart from everybody else in how he looks and how he acts. He's just different. He's different to do God's will. And for the, fir- the first time that we even meet Samson in the scriptures, we see that he's not going to listen to God at all. Is this shows up in the fact that he refused to listen to the parents that God gave him and that he visited. Don't miss the significance here. Samson's breaking the fifth commandment. Who knows the fifth commandment? Okay, honor your father and mother. I'm glad some people know the fifth commandment. By the way, there is no expiration date. Last time I checked on that. Even when they're dead, you honor them, right? He's breaking the fifth commandment. So get the significance. He's not merely refusing to listen to the earthly authority in his life. He is refusing to listen to divine authority. He's not gonna listen to God. So what if this marriage disgraces his parents? It's his dream. It's his dream of marrying a Philistine. So what if it could lead to trouble for him? So what if it could lead to trouble for his people? Seems like the right thing to him to do. And by the way, it's his life anyway, right? It's my life. I do what I want with my life. I know none of us have ever said that. Here's what I want you to notice, that when his parents protest this, and to be fair, it's a pretty weak protest. Like they, pretty, like they give up pretty quickly, right? Because they don't want trouble. When his parents protest, Samson doesn't even respond to their protest. Did you notice that? He merely repeats his demand. Uh, Maybe you didn't hear me. He responds as if his parents haven't even said a word in the room. He's not arguing with them. He's just repeating what he wants to do. He's not listening to anything that they're saying. Guys, the calling, the calling to be our authentic self applauds ignoring spiritual authority. 
This calling tells us that we alone know who we were created to be. No one else. It tells us that every dream, every goal, every inclination that we have is a good one. And it should be pursued indiscriminately. And if people question that, even if these are people that really love us and they care about us, if anyone questions that, we need to ignore their voice. Not should, we need to. No explanation, no apology. And this is basically the advice we're getting today from people like Rachel Hollis, who is an influential speaker at many women's conferences She's a best-selling author of the self-help book, Girl, Stop Apologizing, and Girl, Wash Your Face. I read an analysis of her book, and it contains this quote. I want to read, it. I want to read her own words. Hollis says, quote, The real you is destined for something more. Now, that just, just that grab you? So far, so good, right? Your version of more. Uh-oh. The real you is destined for something more. Your version of more. This is who you were made to be. What is? Your version of more. And the first step to making that vision a reality is to stop apologizing for the dream in the first place. Like Lady Gaga says, baby, you were born this way. It's time to become who you were made to be. You are the authority on you. So you should not listen to anyone. But here's what Proverbs says. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes or her own eyes. But a wise man, a wise woman, listens to advice. Guys, There is nothing more dangerous than living life without listening, especially the people that love you. I cannot think of anything more dangerous that we could do than to live life without listening. Hearing's not listening, amen? Here's why it's so dangerous. When we refuse to listen, we cannot be reasoned with. And we cannot be warned. And we cannot be shown an alternative way because the words don't get through. The Bible tells us repeatedly that to live life without listening is foolishness and it ends in destruction 100% of the time. Always. Always. It ends in heartache. Always. It ends in chaos. This is how Samson's life ended. This is how all these people's lives and judges ended, right? Listen, you are not the authority on you. And that's a good thing, actually. That takes a lot of burden off you. God's an authority on you and who you are and who you are made to be. And you know who you're made to be? God says that you are made to magnify him with your life. You have to go out and find what you're supposed to do. Isn't that restful? Isn't that a light thing? That's good news. That's true flourishing, brothers and sisters. 
Listen to your heavenly Father and live. It is wisdom to open your ears to his voice and to those that he has placed in your life and yes, even over your life. It is a good thing. Pursue wisdom. Pursue wisdom and all you're getting, get wisdom and live. Secondly, we exchange God's calling when we follow our appetites instead of the spirit. Okay? When we follow our appetites, we're led by our appetites instead of the spirit. Let's go to verse seven and following. Then he went down and talked with the woman and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some day, he returned to take her, to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. And he scraped out some with his hands and he just went on eating as he went. That's how casual he is. He just, he scraped it out into his hands and he went on eating as he went and he came to his father and mother and he gave some to them and they ate. But he did not tell them he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. His father went down to the woman and Samson prepared a feast there for so the young men used to do. Samson is a man that is completely led by his appetites and his impulses, just whatever he's feeling at the time, instead of the Spirit of God. Even when the Spirit of God does come upon him, he uses the Spirit's power for his own gain and nobody else. Did you notice that? Samson takes the girl that he likes. He didn't ask anybody, he just takes her. Doesn't ask her dad, just takes her. Doesn't ask his dad. Just takes her, even though she's Israel's enemy. He eats some honey from the dead lion carcass, even though he's, never, he's not supposed to ever touch anything that's dead. He throws a drinking party in line with the customs of his enemies, though he's not supposed to taste alcoholic drink. He's walking through vineyards anyway. I mean, he's just casually, just casually broken two of the three Nazarite vows. He's secretly defiled his own parents by feeding them from a dead lion, and he's adopted the customs of his enemies without a hint of hesitation beforehand and without a hint of remorse afterwards. He feels fine doing it. It is just okay. Samson lives by his appetites and his impulses. There is no thinking through the consequences of the decisions that he makes. There is no reasoning through a set of principles or values. It is this. Look, I see it, I want it. I want it, I take it. That's how he lives. He just speaks whatever he feels in the moment as you read the, the, the end of the chapter, right? He speaks whatever comes to his mind. I think it, I say it. I feel it, I do it. He's just led by however he feels. Samson has totally let his heart be his guide. His controlling question for every decision he seems to make is this question. Does this please me? Does this please me. What is the problem, you'll be asking? What is the problem with living by your appetite? What's the problem with finding things that please us? I mean, was that so wrong? Well, here's the problem with making this question the primary question, does this please me in our life? It destroys things to not put, put, to, to, to not put too fine a point on it. It destroys marriages. When the controlling question is, does this please me? It destroys families. It destroys 
long-time friendships. It destroys careers. It destroys trust. And in a final irony, it, living by what looks good in our own eyes actually destroys us. It really does. And you want to know why? Here's why. Because that controlling question trains us to view other people as useful in us reaching our dream or to view them as problems in the way of our dreams. Let me say that again. That controlling question trains us to view other people as either useful in us reaching our dream or to see them as problems in the way of reaching our dreams. And you know what? People won't put up with that kind of self-centeredness for very long, amen? Because it turns out people don't like being treated like a stepping stone to your dream. That's why it destroys things. So if the question, does this please me most, cannot give true satisfaction, like it claims it can, then what question does? What question will? Here it is. Does this please God? Does this please God? Look what Jesus says in John 4, 34. Excuse me, Jesus said to them, my food... The food's what you eat when you're hungry, right? Satisfy your hunger. My food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his works. Jesus was the most satisfied human on the planet. He was fully satisfied in his life. He didn't feel like he lacked for anything. He didn't feel unfulfilled in any way, right? And he says that this is what satisfied his hunger, what satisfied the deepest craving of his soul, what makes him feel most fulfilled is to do the will of God, to please God, makes him happy, not neglected, not missing out. Isn't that incredible? Contrary to popular opinion, Jesus says that deep, permanent, ultimate satisfaction comes from making this the controlling question over our decisions. Does this please God? When's the last time you asked that question when you made a decision? Does this please God? Finally, we exchange God's calling when we make peace with sin instead of war. When we make peace with sin instead of war. Samson is supposed to deliver Israel from the Philistines, right? There's a real big problem right now. Neither Samson nor Israel wants to be free from the Israelites. Do you notice that? This is how far down the rabbit hole of, uh, uh, of decay we've gone. They have not cried out to rescue them from the Philistines at this point. Did you notice that? You know why? Because they don't want to be rescued from the Philistines. They don't want to drive out their enemies because they, they kind of like them. They kind of like the people that are ruling over them. It's not that bad. The, the truth is they don't want to live differently than them because they kind of kind of admire them. They like what they're doing and who they're worshiping. 
I mean, the Philistines are like the cool kids with the flashy clothes. So you kind of get cool when you're associated with them. Does this make sense? As, as long as Israel tolerates them and doesn't make a fuss about Philistines are fine to not make a fuss either. Meanwhile, they're continuing to lead the hearts of God's people away from their Lord and into outer darkness more and more and more and more. And Samson has been born. He has been born to disrupt this comfortable arrangement between God's people and her enemies. But what does he do instead? He marries the enemy. He marries the oppressor. I mean, they've gone from just simply cohabitating to now they're covenanting. I promise, I promise, I promise to you. That's how much I want you in my life. It's incredible. He literally makes peace instead of war because he's living for himself. It seems right in his own eyes. He's just being authentically himself. Oh, but he's affecting a lot of other people. Samson is the rugged individualist. And Americans, we need to listen to this story because we prize individualism over the group. Samson has no desire to follow God's calling on his life. And he is not going to fake it. He's not going to pretend. He's not going to go to church and put on a Sunday face and pretend that he's actually kind of listening. He's not going to do any of that. His marriage to this Philistine woman is his way of saying to his parents and to God and to all of his people, I know what God says, but hey, this is me. This is me. And I hope you're okay with it. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to be a hypocrite about it. I'm going to be authentically myself. And I've made peace with sin. I have made peace with sin. And so mom and dad, I hope you can make peace with this too because I'm at peace with it. Before we start getting angry and looking down our noses at Samson, is this not a temptation for every single one of us if we're being authentic? It is for me. You know why? It is tiring battling sin, is it not? Anybody? Do you, man, do you guys just get tired of that junk? Those thoughts, those desires. Do you ever get tired of it? Trying to battle it? It is tiring. It does take energy. And if it didn't take energy, you're dead. That's why it didn't take energy. It got you. It costs us something to displace sin in our heart, does it not? Don't you sacrifice for following Jesus? It costs something. It's also discouraging to battle sin daily. Don't you ever get discouraged battling sin? Do you know what I mean by that? Just when you thought that we, we, we've torn down those idols that we worship, just when we thought, you know what, I've made some progress in this area of my life, and man, I do love God with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength and all my might. And I've dealt with those prejudiced thoughts and I've dealt with that greed. I've dealt with that rage. I've dealt with that. Praise God. It just resurfaces with a vengeance somewhere else in our life. Doesn't that just discourage you sometimes? It just takes the wind out of you. And you fall. And so this is a very real and near temptation for all of us, if we're being honest. The temptation is to just make peace with it. 
We're only, at, we're, we're only not at peace with sin because we're fighting it, right? We're struggling with it. And so the temptation is just make peace with it. Just call it okay. Just call it good, and the fighting stops. And you don't burn any energy. We don't have to fight it anymore. And doesn't that sound appealing? I mean, at least we're being honest about it, like, unlike those hypocritical Christians. They sing all the songs on Sunday, and they just live like the devil during the week. At least we're being real. At least we're just being out there with it. And that does feel good, doesn't it? It does give us some rest for a time. For a time. For a time. I gotta ask you this question because I feel like God is asking us this question. Is there a specific or particular sin or idol that you have made peace with? Because you're tired of fighting a war. That's a really important question for you to answer. Have you decided that the way you're just going to be saved from feeling guilty is to just embrace it? Just embrace it. The way that you're going to be saved from feeling tired, just going to embrace it. I'm just going to call it good. I'm just going to call it something else. You know, that's just my personality. That's just, that's just my personality. That's all that is. I don't have to deal with that. That's just the way I am. Listen, guys, we need to be more honest about our sin. We do. We, we could do with more of that in our church, bringing that up, bringing that to the surface instead of trying to hide that. That's where the problem comes, is just trying to hide that, pretend that's not real. Yeah, we do need to confess that. Confession is good for the church. So we do need to be more honest in that regard. But when we call sin righteous, and we call righteous sin an evil or oppressive, when we make peace instead of war with sin, it leads to pain in the end. Always, always. It leads to darkness and destruction and separation from the living God forever. It's only peace for a little while, and then it's pain forever. So here's the question. What empowers you and I? What empowers us to fight the sin that we have no desire to fight anymore? Did I just paint myself in a corner here? That's a pretty hard question. <laughs> How do you fight a sin that you don't have desire to fight anymore? Well, the answer is that we need a new desire. We only do what we want. We live out of our heart what we want. We need a new desire, and that desire can only come from the grace of God because only God can give us new desires. That doesn't come from within us. That's gotta come from outside of us by God's grace. Let's read this verse. It's Judges 13. The, the chapter division kind of skews us a little bit. So let's go back to 13, verse 24 and 25. The woman bore a son, that's his mom, called his name Samson, and the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. 25. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Like, 
stir him up, agitate him, make him restless. And what happens? In uh, Mahana Dan, between Zorah and Eshtel. Now go back to verse 4. These two verses are connected. They interpret one another. Verse 4. His father and mother did not know that this was from the Lord, for he, for God, was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So here's what's going on. Samson wasn't seeking an opportunity to drive out the Philistines, but God was. God was, regardless of how Samson felt about it. God is sovereign. God exercises his divine providence over all things. And so God ensures that Samson's desire would change so that his precious people that he loves would not be destroyed. Even though Samson doesn't care about God's people. God's going to say, look, I'm not going to let my people perish. So he's going to give him a new desire. How does he do that? God stirs him up by the spirit, gives him this sense of just restlessness. I just got to leave home. Don't know why, I just feel like I got to leave home now. Oh, it was the Holy Spirit though. So he stirs the spirit up inside of him to have him leave home to go into enemy territory to fight the Philistines, right? But what happens? When he gets there, he marries the enemy. Oh, poor God, his plan has failed. No, not exactly. Not exactly, because the verse tells us otherwise. God sovereignly uses that choice to stir up a conflict to where Samson will want to fight the enemies of God. In Providence, cool. Guys, listen, the gospel in nutshells this. The gospel is what God does for us. The good news is what God does for us, okay? God graciously intervenes in a roundabout way and gives Samson a new desire that he didn't have. In fact, he was dead set against it, was he not? And somehow he gets a new desire. Now he's doing it. Isn't that amazing? By the end of the chapter, he doesn't even like the enemy. I mean, he wants to kill the enemy. And guys, God has intervened in a similar way in our life to give us new desires. How? Through Jesus Christ. Jesus is God intervening in the world to give us a new desire. It is is being captivated by what Jesus did on our behalf that stirs us up to want to make war with sin and to love God with all of our heart and to walk in his ways and commands. It's what Jesus has done on your behalf and my behalf that gives us that new desire. As we, as we reflect on that and as we are just bowled over by that, our heart changes, our heart desires changes. Jesus came, unlike Samson, he came to live the most other-benefiting, other-serving life imaginable to save people like us who are incurably self-centered. Who else would do that? Is that amazing or what? At great cost to himself, by the way. Let's look at Luke 4, 18 through 21. Jesus reads these words in front of a group of people in the synagogue. He reads this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, his blessing. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, say to them, today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Are you hearing? Are you listening? Like Samson, the spirit rested on Christ as well, but unlike Samson, the spirit stirred up Christ to be completely other-centered. Other-centered. His entire life, from the womb, his entire life, Jesus was stirred up to serve us, deliver us, give us sight, set us free from bondage to sin, and to ensure that we would receive God's favor. He said, that calling, I'll take it. I love that calling. And I'll do it for you. When we know that Christ lived this way for us, it gives us new desires. When we actually believe that, when we internalize that and take that in, when we eat that in and drink that in, now that gives you a new desire. It gives you a new wanter. The love of Christ compels us to want to make war with sin. The love of Christ compels us to want to walk in his ways. It's his love for us that opens the way to true life. Let the wise listen and hear and obey. Blessed be the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Oh, thank you that you lived into your calling so that we could live into our calling. And Jesus, I just pray right now that your, your word would go and penetrate our hearts. It get through the hardness, it get through the shell, it get through the stainless steel by the Holy Spirit. If you can stir up Samson, you can stir us up. So stir us up, Holy Spirit, to listen, to want, to want to want you. And we thank you for your great sacrifice. We thank you for how you've loved us like no one else. We thank you for what you did for us and so let your love soak us now. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.